Well, hello and welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from Solas and I'm joined uh, in, the, in the co-pilot's seat uh, by my Solas colleague, Gavin Matthews. Gavin, how are you doing today? Afternoon, I'm all right. How are you, Andy? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. The sun is shining. It's the afternoon. The tea is warm. What is not to like? And uh, talk of the sun shining. We are joined all the way from arguably one of the sunniest parts of the UK, all the way from Southampton on the south coast. We're joined by Callum Harkrudder. Uh, Callum, welcome to Pep Talk. Thank you very much. It's an honour. And uh, you wear a number of hats. We may hear about some of those as we go. But the, the, perhaps the big one is you are the young adults pastor at Above Bar Church in Southampton. Gosh, that's quite a mouthful. Getting all that in you, take a take a breath. What is um? How did you end up there? Because as people will hear in a moment, you, when you open your mouth a little bit more, that is not a Southampton accent uh, <laughs> that you carry. So perhaps in you know sixty seconds, what's your story and how did you end up where you are now, doing what you're doing? Yes, far from Southampton, I grew up in rural Virginia in the U.S. Uh, grew up kind of going to church, um, but I would have said, of course, I believe in God. Uh, I'm an American. Um, through a youth group Bible study and, and God working in my life, I became a Christian when I was a teenager, got very passionate about evangelism and eventually um, doing lots of mission and university and things. I studied at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, which is what brought me to these fair shores and um, then worked for a ministry called the Mark Drama in Southampton, met my lovely wife during that year and kind of the rest is history. I've I've stayed and Americans think I'm British now, so I don't really have a home. Both sides reject mm. me as saying, you don't sound like you're from here. Sad. So you've got a transatlantic accent now, have you? Is that what happened? <laughs> I say uh, mid-Atlantic, it's somewhere over the sea. Wonderful. You, you dropped in there the, the sentence, the Mark drama that you uh, voted. Now, that's a, a sentence that many people will have heard, you know, uh, particularly around kind of universities and, and CUs. But for any listeners that have not come across the Mark drama, w- what is that? W- what does it achieve? And what was your involvement in it? Yeah. Yeah. The Mark drama is um, every incident in Mark's gospel, uh, not every word, but every incident in Mark's gospel acted out in 90 minutes by a local Christian union or church. And um, a trained director comes in and helps them put it together in a very brief window of time. And it's as a person who has a theater background, it sounded like something that would never work, but it actually really does. Um, and it's a great way of inviting people to come and see the gospel, basically just straight up the gospel for themselves. And we find a lot of people who might not come to church, might not accept an invitation, even to a, an outreach event, but to seeing you in a drama, sure, I'll come along. Um, and it's powerful because it's Jesus, it's Jesus's words. It's the gospel. Hmm. I love it. One of the things I, I, I love straight away is that, you know, we've had almost 100 episodes of Pep Talk by this point. We have talked to all kinds of people and all kinds of backgrounds, but I could probably count on the fingers of one hand while still keeping a couple of fingers free to hold hula hoops. Um, number of Christians who are involved in evangelism and the arts in some way. Maybe, Callum, a couple of questions really sort of bolted together. One is, what? why is that? Why is it that the church has sometimes not always but hasn't perhaps neglected the arts a little bit in terms of outreach and then secondly what are the advantages of that what is it that that drama and other forms of art what does that bring to the evangelistic table as it were why is that why is that effective you touched on it slightly there but perhaps unpack that a bit more 
Yeah, if I can go in reverse order, the, the why is it effective? I love C.S. Lewis's quote, and I, I will get it, I'll butcher it, and I don't know exactly where it's from anymore anyway. I use it so much. But he talks about, I think he's talking more about stories and allegories, but he, he says that, you know, stories often can kind of sneak past the sleeping dragons of the heart. And it's the same <laughs> with art. There's just something, a song, for example. Um, I, I noticed recently a CU that did a talk um, and I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere in Europe, not the UK, but they did a whole talk in a mission week on like, why does music make me feel the way it does? Something like that. And mm. I thought that's brilliant mm. because there is something about the arts that can convey a message where you're closed off to a talk, you're closed off in a conversation, but then it comes to you in a song or a drama or a spoken word or something. And it just sneaks past <laughs> those defenses and conveys something in a very powerful way. I think that's why part of why it can be so powerful and effective. It's it's a it's a way God designed us. Um, but why is it not done more? I mean, you know, that probably somebody who actually is more an expert in arts than I am would have better answers. But I think there's a few things. I mean, one, I don't know. I think we all have had a terrifying experience of a church drama or something where it's like, you know, people are wearing tea towels on their head and wearing sandals and it's just really naff. I love that British word. Um, and so there's been a lot of really bad drama that's been done and cheesy, cheesy, corny stuff that's been done. So where maybe we've swung the opposite way of saying, let's not do that, um, which I'm all for. And I guess sometimes it's just... I don't know what it is, but there is something that often discourages the more creative people in churches. And um, even for myself, I find I really like writing sketches and things. And I've written some really good ones, if I do say so myself. But I find it I need more time than church gives me often to to develop those. And that, that creative side often gets poured into preaching, which is not a bad thing. But yeah. Mm. Uh, do you think that the arts are, are going to be. Um an important way of reaching young, young adults, because I know it's a huge part of your ministries with young adults. Uh, do you think the arts is a significant area uh, for reaching that generation? And the reason I'm asking that is particularly because I, I preach in a lot of churches representing solace, and it's often those young adults who are the missing group. Mm. You know, you see older families, you see people with children, the Sunday school go out, mm. but very often the missing demographic. It, it, is arts ministry a helpful way of addressing that, do you think? And, and if not, what is? I think it is, and I, I think it is, and I think it's also important that we do equip the young adults that are in churches in thinking about how the arts influences them. So this last year, like I did with our students, a thing of like watching The Greatest Showman and analyzing the messages being very powerfully conveyed in a film and talking about it, and you know what do we agree with? What what do you think if Jesus was sitting here, he might have in response that kind of thing, which they were eating up. Um, and so I think mm. we need to do more of. And yeah, I mean, the obsession with artists. I mean, uh, so many young adults now, Harry Styles is like a messiah to many young adults. Um, and uh, it's it's quite striking. Uh, musicians, uh, artists, Netflix, there's so many avenues to consume art now as well. Um but they're always conveying powerful messages and far more often during the week they're being consumed than a sermon uh, in a church service. So yes, I think, I think it can be a powerful way uh, and it's an important way uh, 
that Christians need to be involved in if we're going to reach people for sure. Mm. Mm. So with that sort of link into the world of, of, of young adults, and by the way, I, I love that idea of equipping young adults and actually all Christians actually because is, is so good to be equipped to understand media to, to read it well. Um, you know, we've got a young family and we're beginning to do that with our kids of teaching mm. them to go, yeah, watch stuff. I mean, by all means, but, but think about the messages and, and, and learn to, to critique, yep. affirm what we can affirm, critique what we want to critique. Um, yep. but young adults in, in general, I know this is gonna be a very broad question, uh, Callum, but <laughs> yeah. what, what, what is going on in that, in that world right now? Because one of the things I've noticed over the years, every generation that grows up, there are some questions and issues that are the same. There are new questions and new issues coming in. It says you're rolling your sleeves up, wrestling with that generation. What are some of the big questions around faith and, and for perhaps those who aren't Christians and for those who are, what are the things we need to be thinking about in terms of helping them be faithful witnesses to their friends and peers? Another really tiny question that is only going to take. Uh, itsy bitsy, yes. Itsy bitsy question. Well, I think, I think most kind of questions around faith and God normally they they boil down if you really boil them down ultimately to either is it true or is it good I think um and I think most of the questions young adults are asking right now is around the is it good um and yeah so whether it's around social justice and and um equality or um around you know, does it, does it promote flourishing? Does it work for me? <laughs> does it have good vibes? The, the word vibes is said a lot, uh, in my each day for me and the people I work with, um, is the kind of questions often that are being asked, but you're right in that people haven't changed. I, I find when you dig down this thing, there's things around who am I, these things around, um, what is my place in this world? Um, and questions around identity, around shame, around um, what does it look like for me to be my best me? All, all these kinds of things are still the questions being asked. I also just notice more and more, more and more young adults are far less equipped for practical things in life. Um even things like how to cook sometimes or how, how to just be independent. And so there's a, a real element of also kind of, they're almost like they're looking for a mentor. They're looking for our parents. Um, one of the big YouTubers and TikTok guys is a, is a person who he just shows them how to fix things like that normally maybe a dad would teach their children how to do, but they haven't had that. And it's just fascinating to me. It's fascinating. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's where I guess I, where God has wired me. I used to be nicknamed as a, um, my nickname at university in the Christian union was mom. Um, (laughs) partially helped by the fact that my parents gave me an old beat up nine, eight seater Chevrolet suburban to drive around at university. Um, so I gave everybody a lift and, um, I don't know. I have a really pastoral heart. And so I guess with the young adults, I, I see, uh, as well as a lot, you know, things that can be intimidating around sexual ethics and all these things, just a lot of kind of who am I and how am I going to make it in life kind of at the end of the day. Mm, that's really interesting. 
Andy's known you for a long time, but we'd never met before we started recording. So mm. I did read the little biography that you, you sent through, and I was intrigued by something in that, in which you described yourself as a pastoral evangelist. And I thought that was interesting because there's a lot of literature and a lot of people who would see the pastor and the evangelist as pulling in very different directions, you know, that the pastor wanting to look after those in the fold and the evangelist wanting to go out, and there being an inherent tension between those two roles. But you wanted to pursue those two things very much together, as, as was obvious in your last answer, actually. Tell us about the role of a pastoral evangelist and what that means as you go into your city, Southampton, with the gospel. How do you do that with that frame of reference as a, as a pastoral evangelist? Yeah, well, it's a journey I've been on and a kind of trying to bring together instead of them being opposing that I've had to arrive at. It's, it's, it's been a journey for sure. I, um, yeah, I, I, I've, always been passionate about evangelism. Um, but I've also not always knowing it as I've, as I've grown as a Christian had real pastoral gifting and God uses me in lots of pastoral settings. So in my first year at university, um, I got quickly involved with the, the local Christian fellowship and a fourth year asked me if I could talk. And um, so I was like, okay. And we met up and they basically opened up to me. They were engaged and they opened up to me immediately about kind of they were having second thoughts about their engagement. And I'm first year, like an 18 year old, like, what the heck? But I've, I've noticed over my time, I used to, you know, doing university missions. I would always find myself often with somebody not even from the university, but at least once during every mission week in this long conversation with somebody where they're crying and talking about their their divorce or their mental health or these kinds of things. And I'd be like, God, I'm here to do evangelism, not like, you know, do all this pastoral stuff. What are you doing? And finally a moment of going, you know what, Keller, maybe your area where God has wired you is more of a pastoral evangelism. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I find it not very difficult to convince people that this world is messed up, is broken, um, that there are things wrong, and that includes inside of each of us. Um, and I usually can get there, I guess, by basically just being vulnerable, being authentic, I say with my uh, fingers up, because that's kind of a trendy word to use, but but being kind of vulnerable myself, it opens up to other people then to be like, oh, yeah, I, I struggle sometimes too. Um, and it's just an interesting human habit. I guess you see it right away in Genesis mm. 3 with the fig leaves. We want to cover up. We, we usually try and act like things are fine, but things are not fine in, in a post-Genesis 3 world. And who are we kidding? So it's been a journey for me as I've grown um, – also massively struggling with putting my identity and success and how I look to other people. But actually, you know, if I share, I've, I've had, you know, I've had time off this year with, with kind of just struggling, feeling mentally down and, and burnt out and that kind of thing. And, and actually if I share that, it gives permission to other people and then they go, Oh, I have stuff too. And you know what? It's an easy connection there. It's like, there's something wrong with this world, isn't it? It's not quite the way it should be. Um, and that kind of, those touchstones of the gospel of, you know, the creation were made, you know, by a loving God and a world was meant to be a certain way, but it's now broken, the fall. Um, Jesus came in this world to, to recreate this world in a sense and, and to rescue us from our sin. And 
bring us to a new creation where we have a relationship with him. I find those kind of touchstones of the gospel, those four, you know, they apply to everyday things in life. Um, but I guess that pastoral evangelism comes partially being in a pastor role. People come to me sometimes with heavy things and, um, and I kind of find ways not of like just always appointing it straight to, well, you should be a Christian, but of being like, yeah, um, recognizing certain things. Actually, this actually shows the truth of the gospel <laughs> at the end of the day. And also then by being vulnerable and, and sharing just deeply myself and not trying to kind of act like I'm stronger than I am working out of weakness, very biblical. I find people connect with that and mm. it comes to deeper conversations. I think the transparency piece is, is huge. Actually. I remember a couple of years ago doing a, a mission week at a, at a Scottish university on the last night we did an event on suffering and the CU asked myself and the other speaker to rather than do a talk, we just sat mm. on a sofa at the front of the stage, had a dialogue about suffering shared, you know, she'd been through some mental health stuff. I had some stuff when I was younger, bits and pieces, very, very honest, uh, talked about the hope that Christ brings in the midst of the chaos, doesn't mm-hmm. remove the chaos necessarily. And then the Q&A was amazing, Callum, because it just opened up into students sharing their stories. There was no pushback. There was no hostility. Yeah. And it was just a really easy way then to talk about the, the yeah. difference that, that, that Christ makes when you've, when you've done that. Um, so I really want to sort of affirm that. Yeah. Suppose, and it, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I, the most, I most frequently get people then like non-Christians coming and talking to me and deeper conversations coming out of the fact that I just say I get counseling from time to time. And, um, and yeah, it, it just opens up, it, it gives permission to people. Um, and I think, you know, if our identity is in Christ, then we can be vulnerable. Mm. Um, we are, we are hidden in Christ. I mean, it, we're not going to, you know, we have to be careful sometimes of the vulnerable positions we put ourselves in. Yes. Uh, there needs to be some, uh, shrewdness of serpents as well as innocence of doves. But in the end of the day, I, I guess it's just a leaning into my identities in Christ. I'm saved by grace through faith, not by anything I've done, not by my impressiveness. So embrace the weakness, I guess, is what I'm learning and mm. be, be fairly transparent. And, and it yeah. really, it's something our world so needs because for most people, we go about our days acting like everything's fine. But of course, we're in a broken world. Like everything is not fine. Yeah. Um, but we have amazing hope um, yeah. as well. Uh, in the so kind of cheeky question I was going to fire off the back of that and mm. as we're coming to the top of the top of the time this might be the f- final question then Gavin can draw the threads together in some crazy kind of way um, <laughs> so the way that we set that Gavin set that question up of, those worlds are often a little bit separate the pastoral world and the evangelistic world and, mm. and you've really learned how to straddle them so a bit of a perhaps a cheeky question to those who are listening to this who are a bit more pastoral what might you say to encourage them to to be a bit more perhaps evangelistic yeah. through that pastoral and to those who are like the go you know, great go get them evangelists who are out there proclaim the thing what might you say to them to encourage them to slow down a bit and uh, listen to where people's heart is at what what word might you say to either side of that camp to try and encourage them to come together yeah i think that whole you know jesus is described in john one as being full of grace and truth and the powerful thing of its grace and truth it's mm. not grace or truth or sometimes grace sometimes truth that he would fully brought both I think the tendency uh, on the, the pastoral heart sometimes is to avoid the conflict. And 
for those of us who have that more kind of, oh, we like the grace, but maybe not so much the truth sometimes. Like, no, 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 it's grace and truth have to be always together. They're not, they're not separate. And similarly, there's some of us who much more prefer the truth stuff and like the grace, ah, you know, it's like, no, 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 always together. But also as humans, we like to dichotomize, but the incredible thing I think we see in scripture is that it, it all comes together. Um, whenever we're talking to another human being, that is a, you know, they're, they're physical, but they're also spiritual and it's not a kind of separating and, or it's that no, they're all there. So similarly, I guess just, yeah, you, you are engaging with a person who you have no idea what's gone on in their past and all the different things and blockers and walls they might have to the gospel and what's, what's their actual physical needs as well. Um, and you've got to, it's, it's kind of a, keep them all in mind. Yes, we need to communicate the gospel. That is essential. Um, but to the whole person um, uh, that God created and loves. And yeah, uh, that's, that's my essence of it, I guess. And that's a really wonderful note on which to, which to finish with that that reminder Jesus Christ full of grace and truth for, from mm. uh, you know the beginning of John's gospel absolutely wonderful note to kind of draw all that together thank you so much for your time Callum we, we do pray that God will bless you in your pastoral evangelism in Southampton and, and your church and the evolving ministry there that we didn't even get a chance to talk about yeah. we will be back in a fortnight's time with another edition of Pep Talk when again we'll be talking about sharing the gospel of Christ with our contemporaries in our culture today with a different guest but always the same gospel, the same Jesus that we are proclaiming. We look forward to uh, joining you again in a fortnight's time. And that's goodbye from us.